What is the difference between affective, behavioral, and cognitive learner engagement? How can the academic communities of engagement model help us to understand the engagement of our students and how to support them? How will understanding the facilitators of engagement help us to create more equitable learning opportunities for all students? These are some of the questions we will address in this episode of Learner Engagement Activated, the podcast that helps you take teaching and learning to the next level with the latest in research and applications on learner engagement for students at all ages, levels, and environments. This podcast hosts leaders in the field to bring you advice for how to increase learner engagement to improve student outcomes. I'm your host, Ann Fency, and in this episode, I speak with Dr. Charles Graham from Brigham Young University about the academic communities of engagement. Ready, set, activate. Charles Graham is a professor at Brigham Young University who studies technology-mediated teaching and learning with a focus on the design and evaluation of blended and online learning environments. He also researches the use of technology to enhance traditional teaching and learning. Charles is the author of several books on blended learning that include both research and practical strategies for educators in K-12 and higher education. So Charles Graham, welcome to our podcast. Thanks, Anne. Glad to be here. Yeah, so um, excited to talk about all the things that uh, you've been researching about uh, learner engagement. And, um, you know, one thing that, that I've noticed as I do research in learner engagement is that uh, it's kind of nebulous. So you've been researching this a while, and you've probably encountered lots of different definitions of learner engagement. Um, can you provide a simple you know, what you're using as a definition of learner engagement and what that might actually look like, either in a face-to-face or an online class? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there, uh, anyone who does significant research in this area uh, of learner engagement realizes very quickly that um, there's a lot of different definitions out there, a lot of different ideas out there about what learner engagement is. Mm-hmm. And I would say when I think about learner engagement, I think about a definition that involves kind of three kind of core dimensions, the affective, the behavioral, and the cognitive dimensions. Now, this isn't something that I invented. This is something that, you know, it was already in the research mm-hmm. in the ed, uh, educational psychology research, but we, we've kind of resonated with that in that um, that engagement isn't like just one thing. And if it, if, if it were just unidimensional, it would be really hard to just, you know, to describe. Um, the, uh, I, I tend to think of engagement basically as uh, energy. So, mm. uh, when I think about the ABCs, low affective, behavioral, cognitive uh, engagement, I think about affective engagement kind of being the emotional energy that someone exerts around mm-hmm. their involvement with uh, their learning experience. The behavioral engagement is the behavioral energy, you know, like what they're physically doing, they're participating, they're showing up, they're turning things in. And the cognitive engagement has to do with the mental energy that they're giving to somebody to, you know, to uh, kind of productive involvement in the learning tasks that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And the tricky thing is that all of these three things are probably quite, quite correlated when you have a really great, highly engaged uh, learning environment. But you can also think about learners being high in one of these dimensions of engagement and not Mm -hmm. high in the other. So a really common example might be a student who shows up to class Mm -hmm. or logs in, you know, if it's an online, you know, is logging in and going through the motions of doing stuff and turning stuff in, but they're not, maybe they're not excited about the Mm -hmm. learning they're doing. They're, they're, uh, you know, they're doing it because they're feeling coerced or for yeah, some yep. reason. So they're not 
emotionally, they're not giving emotional energy to the learning that they're doing. And then also maybe they're struggling with giving cognitive energy. You know, they're going through the steps, but they're not really giving the mental effort that's required for them to uh, learn the things in a way that's really going to help them uh, be able to apply and use the knowledge in a in a, in a later context. So mm. I don't know. That's probably. I, so the answer is no. I don't. Yeah. Have, <laughs> I don't have a good definition. Yeah. Yeah. Think of them in those three dimensions and think about engagement as being a, an energy that someone's giving to a learning experience. Yeah, I I really like the energy aspect because. So much of what I, I read about engagement is really just observable behaviors. And I like how, you know, you're talking about encompassing so much more about engagement that it, that really includes the, the interest and motivation and, you know, the struggle that they, that they might have and the satisfaction. And mm -hmm. then, you know, all of the cognitive components as well that aren't necessarily, I mean, you could do like eye tracking and stuff like that, but you know, you can't really see what's going on in the mind of a student. Yeah. So that's helpful having, you know, those different facets. Um, and then I, I was reading about your academic communities of engagement model, which is, was really, um, really, uh, I'm going to post a link to the article because it's just, it's so interesting and it really like, gave me a whole new way of looking at engagement. And you, um, one of the things that you have in there, you, you mentioned the affective, behavioral, and cognitive, ABC, that's nice and easy to remember. <laughs> and then you also talk about the facilitators, indicators, and outcomes of learner engagement. So how might that differentiation be helpful to a teacher who is trying to increase learner engagement in their classes? Yeah, so, you know, uh... Facilitators of engagement are the things that um, lead to or, you know, directly influence engagement. And then engagement, of course, is kind of a engagement in and of itself isn't something that we mostly care about, right? We mostly care about engagement because it leads to other outcomes that we really care about, which might be exactly, yeah. out, you know, student learning or student yep. performance or student satisfaction, those kinds of things. And engagement is just a kind of an intermediate way of getting to those things that sometimes are more difficult to actually measure. Mm -hmm. um, so, but the facilitators are the things that um, influence the engagement. And it's it's important for us to understand that we don't always have direct influence over all of the facilitators to engagement. So we think about learner characteristics influencing engagement. So students come with some characteristics that might, you know, personal characteristics that might yeah. influence how well or easily they can engage in a... Yeah, they're not blank slates. <laughs> they're not blank slates, yeah. yeah. They also come with... Uh, personal environments that affect their ability to engage, you know? So someone who is uh, living in an environment where they don't have, uh, where they don't have, this is a really simple one for online, but where they have limited internet access, mm, right? Yep. That affects their ability to really engage effectively in an online space. You could also talk about social aspects of their personal environment. So if they if they're living if it's a K twelve learner and they're living in a home that is not doesn't have a, is not supportive for online mm -hmm. learning, then that could be that that could be harmful to their ability to engage. Even if the student has, you know, lots of uh, you know personal desire and abilities. Yep. We and we saw a lot of that in the pandemic. Yeah, we you did. know that that was definitely a, a huge barrier to engagement for a lot of students was the variability of home environments. Yes. And we also have issues like if you're working with adult learners, you know, many adult learners are working and have other responsibilities at home, other mm -hmm. constraints in their personal environment that affect their ability to engage. So if we don't kind of think about those 
and take those into account, we, we might be not seeing the big picture. And of course, yeah. the course environment is the one that I focus on a lot. Well, I, I focus on a lot, the course environment and the personal environment. In the K-12 setting, we, we may talk about this later, but like how parents can facilitate and help with uh, their children's engagement and mm -hmm. their learning experience. But the thing that we have, we, we as educators have the most direct control over is crafting the learning environment or the course environment, the institutional environment in ways that will support learner engagement. So really the teacher has the most control over the, the classroom as a facilitator of engagement. And they, you know, it, it helps to recognize that there are other factors that are facilitating engagement too. Right. I mean, I think it's important for the instructor to uh, have some awareness of learner characteristics and personal environment, because that might help you craft the course environment differently, mm. or it might help you think about the supports that are needed in a different way. Because, you know, part of this academic communities of engagement uh, uh, framework that um, you'll share with people is this idea that there's both the course community, so the, the community that's provided by the school to help people learn, but there's mm -hmm. also this uh, personal community that's supporting students. And students that have a really strong personal community to help them engage need to draw less on the course community to be able to be academically successful. Mm -hmm. Someone who doesn't have as many supports uh, for engagement in their personal community might need more support from the course environment in order to be successful in, in their, you know, to have academic success. Mm, yeah, and um, I really liked the, the triangle diagrams in the article that really laid that out plainly that you can see you're, you're not at you know, optimal, you know, uh, learning because you've got <clears throat> yourself in the center, but if you don't have enough community uh, engagement and you don't have enough personal supports as well, then you're just not going to su succeed. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> I can, maybe I can just draw a visual picture for people. So the, the way this framework works is think of a small black triangle this triangle is represents the student's ability to engage independently of any other supports. Mm -hmm. And some students actually have a large black triangle. They don't need support from anyone. anyone. They're going to succeed regardless. You know, they have the ability to independently engage that, uh, that they can, they, they'll be successful in their affective, behavioral, cognitive engagement, regardless of any help that they have. But that's not the majority of learners, right? Majority of learners need some support to be able to succeed uh, academically and to in engage in those three areas. And so the, the, the imagine this black triangle with a dotted triangle around the, the, the boundaries or the outside of the smaller black triangle and some space in between. That mm -hmm. space represents what the deficit is, what's needed, what help is needed, what support is needed for that student to be academically successful. And so this is really important in the online and blended learning space because some, some online programs don't even purport to uh, provide uh, affective or behavioral engagement support for students. Mm -hmm. So if you think about an independent study program, yeah. yep. study programs providing a lot of cognitive support, you know, they might, they might, uh, you know, if you don't understand a concept, there's lots of additional resources you can go to, to get at that concept and yep. to learn that concept. But one of the things that they misunderstand is that, you know, it might not be just the help the students need, but it might be the affective piece that students need or the behavioral piece students need. St students 
aren't interested in get in the help, right? Mm -hmm. And so even though you have lots and lots of help there available, they don't have the desire to, 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 to get it. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you need some affective behavior, you know, affective engagement support, or yeah. maybe they have the desire, but they don't know how to get it because they don't, you know, maybe they don't understand how to use the LMS well, or they're yeah. having other challenges. And so they need some behavioral support to help them be able to actually do what needs to be done to access the help that the cognitive help that needs to be done. And so I think thinking about the supports we provide in these three different areas can really help us understand maybe where, where there's deficits in a particular program and where, you know, where we need to fill in or where we need to provide additional support, those kinds of things. Mm. And me, can I say one other thing? Yeah. This is yeah. Also a thing that I think is really cool about blended and that is we can start to think about supports being provided in different modalities. So not just from the school at the, you know, uh, in the online space, but we might also think about providing support in a face-to-face -face space. So in mm -hmm. K-12 environments, one thing that's pretty common in many K-12 environments is students have an online uh, learning course where they're interacting with a instructor in this online space, the instructor's primarily providing cognitive support and help around the, you know, the concepts and the content learning. But the students might be in a physical classroom doing that online work in a physical classroom in their brick and mortar high school, mm -hmm. where they have a facilitator who's providing them with, um, you know, affective and behavioral uh, engagement support. Yes. So that, that <clears throat> facilitator is saying, you know, Johnny, how are you doing? You know, are, have, are you up on your lessons? What can we, that facilitator might not know anything about chemistry or might not know anything about calculus, but they're there to provide the behavioral and the affective uh, supports while the online teacher is providing the, the, predominant cognitive support. Yeah, and that's, it's a successful model. I was a, um, I was one of those coordinators for a virtual high school. And, you know, that was their model was that they would have this, you know, subject matter teachers actually teach the classes, but the students are not on their own. They have to be in a physical space with a teacher that is there to help, you know, with yeah. like what you said, with the affective and behavioral pieces. Yeah. And- there's some good examples of this in higher ed too. I yeah. mean, we oftentimes think about that happening in K-12, but I'll give two examples. So uh, Western Governors University and mm -hmm. I would say Arizona State University, their, their online programs, they have people who are assigned as mentors or coaches yep. that help you know, guide someone through uh, a program. And they're providing predominantly behavioral and affective engagement support. Yeah. Um, you know, and um, SNHU has a model of that as well. That's yeah. That's great. That's great. And BYU, we, BYU has a, there's many branches of BYU, but BYU Pathway is a program that's intended to help get people who maybe have not been college track to, uh, to, to be able to be in a college level program. And they have a really interesting model where they have, you know, they, the students are in online courses where they might be in a class with people from all over the world, but they have a local, uh, a local group that meets weekly, you know? So hmm. these, yep. uh, these, these local gathering groups meet once a week for a couple of hours you know, there's 10 to 12 students and there's some volunteer facilitators that come. The facilitators don't have content knowledge about the things that are, that are being learned. The students gather, the students might be taking the same classes, but not, they're not in maybe the same sections or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So they support each other in this community of, you know, of providing each other with uh, 
you know, affective and behavioral support, and actually some cognitive support too, as they're, you know, tutor each other or help each other's, at, you know, at kind of like a study group kind of thing. Yeah, so, yep. So there are a lot of really cool models that are happening in the mm. online blended space in this area. And, you know, there's there's so much research on the benefits of, of cohorts, you know, and this model helps to explain why is because in that cohort, you're getting that affective and behavioral support. Right. And that so, affective and behavioral support doesn't have to come just from the teacher, right? Yeah. The teacher can provide it, but a lot of that might be coming from your peers in your, your learning community, right? Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Great. Great insight. So um, when we when we think about engagement, we're often thinking about you know cognitively. Are they you know are they thinking and learning and doing the things? Um, but it, it seems like what you're saying is that all three affective, behavioral, and cognitive, all three types of those engagement are necessary for learning. So um, do do we need to start paying more attention to the affective component of learning? Definitely. <laughs> I'll, I'll share an example of this. So this is a non-online or uh, blended example. It's mm -hmm. an example that comes, you know, from you know uh, research in the classroom. But I think it's really uh, helpful to understand. So. Many people are aware of this idea of the two sigma problem that, you know, that Bloom uh, came up with many years ago. And that's the idea of like, if you tutor a, per, a student, um, the gains seem to be higher than if you, a student's just learning in a traditional class, like if they're getting mm -hmm. that individual attention. So this is, a, this is kind of a follow-up study that came out of that. What they did was they looked at the uh, they looked at what tutors were doing with the students. Mm -hmm. Like when you sat down in a tutoring session with a student to help them, you know, in math or in chemistry or writing or whatever, what kinds of activities were was the tutor actually engaged in? And I thought it was very interesting that about half the time was spent in affective things, you know, encouraging the student, wow. helping the student to feel like they could do it, have hope, you know, all of these things. You would think that the tutor would be spending most or most of their time in actually providing the, you know, the math strategies or yeah. the, you know, yep. explanations of the content, but actually a large amount of what the tutor's actually spending their time doing is totally emotional, you know, trying to uh, provide affective engagement support for those students. And I think that this is an area that in online learning, we've kind of, I'm not gonna say we, we've ignored, but we haven't given as much attention to as we need. We, mm -hmm. can, we create these great learning, you know, uh, courses that have all of these great resources and all of this great stuff, but the students don't access them because the students need emotional support, affective support, or behavioral support as a foundation to them even wanting to access the cognitive supports that we're providing. And this is also why I'm a big proponent of online learning that involves communities and not just independent study online learning. Because uh, yep. independent study online learning is great for students who already have that black triangle of independent, you know, the ability to independently engage is already very large. Yep. And so, the, the, so they, they can jump in and learn independently on their own. But, but my experience has been the vast majority of students are not in that place. They, yep. need, they need lots of emotional, affective, behavioral support to help them be successful. Hmm. So how do you know how big the triangle is, the black triangle? So <clears throat> if you're a teacher, how do you figure out from your student what kinds of supports they need in those three areas, the affective, behavioral, and cognitive? And what kinds of supports can you give students? Right. 
That is a great question. I think that's a great question for researchers to continue to explore. If there's any listening to this podcast that are interested in that, that would be that would be an awesome question to explore because mm-hmm. I think right now teachers have good teachers have a sense, an intuitive sense for what students need. And they're also exploring, they're building relationships with students to try and understand the student's personal environment, what these facilitators are to their engagement so that they can provide a more personalized experience for the student, which means they're providing opportunities for engagement to students that need more, they're providing more. For students that need less, they're letting the students run a little more. And great teachers know how to do that well. Mm-hmm. I think there'd be a, there's a great opportunities for, you know, someone to create, a, you know, a, a pulse instrument that would help to kind of gauge that for teachers in the online space. You know, mm. for us to better understand, like, like a student who's coming into my class, what what are their what what does their black triangle look like? You know, and that might yeah. give me ways to interact with them differently or point them towards different kinds of supports. Yeah, because it could also be useful for parents or for, you know, the students themselves to say, you know, I realize I'm low in this area and I really need to get some support in this area. So go ahead. Yeah. So you're not, you're not an equilateral triangle. You're, you're like an isosceles triangle because you're high in, you know, affective, you're really excited about this content, but you just don't get it, you know, so maybe you're not cognitively as engaged, you know, so. uh, Maybe you're really excited about this, but you haven't developed good um, study practices, or you're not good at keeping track of when things are due and what, so you're really excited about it, but you're getting discouraged because you're not, you're not able to even manage the tasks that you need to do to to learn this well yeah yeah and so you know and that's a big issue for online learners right it requires a higher level of self-regulation yeah and students that don't come in with self-regulation abilities you know that are used to somebody telling them what they need to do you know every moment of the day they're going to struggle more in those environments so how do we help build those capacities for students and the teacher is not there to actually in the moment observe where the student is struggling. Because like, as you mentioned, good yeah. teachers, they have that sense of mm-hmm. how big the triangle is, you know, and uh, in an online environment, you're missing all of that. And, you know, so it's so easy for a teacher to feel disconnected from their students. And I've mentioned before a Uh, strategy that I use is I use this weekly exit ticket document that's like a running Google Doc that they write in every week and I respond to them and I ask them about their, you know, affective, cognitive, behavioral context. I ask them to comment on those and I, I get so much more information from them. Like I really understand what their individual situation is like and that I'm you know much better able to respond to what their needs are that that's really insightful that you've done that and I I think you know I do something similar in my classes my online classes I think that you're right that when you're in a, an in-person class you're able to make observations about students that help you as a teacher better understand where they're at in terms of their black triangle, you know, their Mm -hmm. ability to emotionally, cognitively, behaviorally engage. And so if you're not in an environment where you see the students' interactions regularly, you have to use other tools. And many of those tools involve, you know, getting analytics from, uh, learning management systems or doing like what you did. I do a similar thing. Like I have a, uh, my students fill out a weekly self-report, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, w- weekly, my student, my university students will fill out a report that just says, you know, like, how do you feel like your outside of class work went this week? You know, uh, mm-hmm. you know rate for me your personal uh, effort that you put in this week. 
And then some open-ended question, you know, that, you know, tell me what you struggled with, what we can do better. But that's one way of me getting eyes on what's happening to yes. outside of the classroom. Because I can't see that in the yep. asynchronous environment. Yeah, there's there's something to be said for visual cues <laughs> because yeah. you you really can pick up a lot of that in a face-to-face -face class. But I think there are ways of doing that online and, you know, blended, you kind of have the best of both worlds because you're mm -hmm. getting some of that in the face-to-face -face and you can also then, you know what to expect when they yeah. go online. Yeah. 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 And that, but that, that's assuming that you're doing a course level blend where, and I think you're absolutely right. That's why I love blended learning, right? Because you have, you, you can have the best of both worlds. You can see yeah. them in the in-person environment. But some blends, like the pathway one that I was sharing with you about, is an interesting blend because the face-to-face -face or in-person experience is happening in these gathering groups and is happening outside of the purview of the teacher. Mm, so the yep. teacher doesn't see that happening. It's kind of like a study group or something. You yeah, know, yep. doesn't see what's happening in the study group. The teacher only sees what's happening in the online group. So in those cases, you have a blend, but the teacher is still blind to what's happening in mm. person because the student's not involved in the in-person part of the blend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh, that's interesting. So we're talking about the teacher, but who else can support the engagement of the learner? Who, I mean, you mentioned, you know, the classroom community and you gave the great example of the pathways, but um, what, what are those personal supports that that students yeah, so might have? That's a that's a great question. So um, it's easier to answer for the uh, K twelve environment because there's clear like personal community that's in place. Uh, you know, in the personal community is typically the family and friends and connections outside of the class that are there mm -hmm. to support. So in a K-12 environment, parents are very involved, trying to help, you know, I mean, in the ideal situation, try to help students, you know, if students are struggling with something, maybe the parents will help them themselves or the help the parents will find a friend or a family member that knows how to help them in a certain way. Like yeah. my students having trouble, like figuring out how to access a particular video or to do something in the LMS if I can't help them as a teacher or as a parent, I'm gonna find somebody who's gonna be able to help them. Maybe mm -hmm. it's an older sibling who's used that before, or maybe it's a friend. And sometimes parents even bring in supports that are cognitive supports. Like, you know, like you're struggling with this, you know, this science problem and we have a neighbor, we have a family member that I know can help you with this. And so I'm gonna bring them in to tutor you or to help you. Yeah. In in the in the higher ed realm, we still have this too. Um, we just typically don't necessarily have parents that are involved, but you might have a spouse or roommates or mm -hmm. even peers that are in a program but not connected to a particular class that you're in, that you're you're building a personal network of people that can help you to be successful in your experience. And so I think that the personal community of support actually for students that are successful might even be bigger and more influential than we as researchers even, you know, ha have acknowledged in the past. They're getting mm, help yep. in, in many unique ways where they're drawing on their personal communities. Mm. So. And, you know, I, I did some, some research last summer with some academically high achieving working mother students in distance education. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now that I'm looking back at, you know, through this lens of the academic community's engagement, I'm realizing how important those personal supports were, you know, that their, their families were so supportive, that their kids understood mommy's doing homework, you yeah. know, and that, you know, here's this time I can't help you with something, you know, so you need to go ask dad or, yeah. you know, it, they're, they could not have succeeded if they didn't have the personal home environment and family and friends that were supportive of them. Exactly. That gets back to those facilitators, right? The personal environment, 
we've got the personal community, but you also have the personal environment, right? That, mm-hmm. that and this, this is a, this is a, I think this is an important thing that we have to grapple with because this is an equity issue too, right? Yep. Some, some students don't have that. And so that puts them at a natural disadvantage in the learning experience because if there's a deficit and the course community is not filling that deficit and they don't have a personal community to fill that deficit, it, it puts them at a disadvantage mm-hmm. to being successful. And so we, we could give more energy if we care about um, meeting the needs of the most vulnerable in, among us. We not only need to think about how to provide uh, course engagement supports that can fill, you know, fill the complete gap that's there, Mm -hmm. but also think about how to strengthen the personal community supports for those those students. And I think, like I think back to the pathway program, like one of the goals of the pathway program, they're they're bringing these personal, these communities together, these gathering uh, groups together. Those gathering groups are with the students, those local gathering groups are with the students for only a year. And it's kind of provided and organized by the institution. But Mm -hmm. part of the hope is that after that year, when they move on to online learning, that even though that gathering group now is no longer like officially supported by the institution, that they've built friendships that and connections that will be able to continue supporting each other, you know, Mm, beyond that. And that's not managed or provided by the institution. And you talked briefly about the idea of cohorts. You know, cohorts sometimes provide that engagement support, but you might think about that engagement support um, becoming their network once Mm -hmm. they leave the institution, right? So it's provided, the cohorts provided by the institution to support their learning there, you know, the two years that they're doing their master's degree or something. Yeah. But, but that cohort then becomes their personal community of support in their continuing education when they're professionals in the field. Mm, yep. And they need to draw on people. They need that, you know, that, because a lot of the professional development learning that's happening is online learning, you know? So, so that, so there are, I think, ways that we can think as educators about how to strengthen the personal community of support. One other mm-hmm. story, um, I have a, a student, his name is Darren Oviatt. A few years ago, he did, he was doing research with independent study programs for K-12. <coughs> and they recognized that their program wasn't set up to provide the affective and behavioral supports for students, especially in, in you know, their personal learning environments, you know, their personal environments. And so one of the things that they were exploring is how can we as an institution educate and help the parents who are bringing their students, their children to, to use our resource, you know, our, mm, yep. our, our service, how can we educate them so that they are strengthened to be able to provide, uh, you know, provide engagement support in the gaps where we know that we're not providing that support. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, <clears throat> Well, and that was, you know, if only we had thought ahead in the pandemic about providing supports to parents, because there were so many parents who were just completely ill-equipped to deal with, you know, being, you know, the the teacher now and being the person that has to figure out the triangle and what, what kinds of supports do you need? Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that this, there's a huge, there's a huge professional development training, uh, educating issue for parents and families, as well as educators. You know, I mean, part of the problem in the pandemic is educators, many educators 
didn't know how to provide these different supports either. And yeah. then compounded on top of that was the parents at home might have had all the desire to help their students, but yeah. they didn't, they also didn't have the know-how to yeah. really how to make it happen. So it was kind of this perfect storm of, you know, that the course community and the personal community is at a deficit to know how yeah. to help them engage. So hmm. that's a yeah. great insight, great point. Hopefully it won't happen again. Hopefully we'll take this. Learn from this, and yeah. And build <laughs> strength in these areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have three questions that I ask of all of our guests. So first, what is a major barrier to learning engagement that you have experienced? So we've talked about this a little bit, and I think that I would say one of the biggest is just the emotional and affective dimension to engagement. And that mm -hmm. in learning environments and online learning environments, we don't attend to this, this nearly as much as we need to. And so I would say I've seen that, experienced that in a lot of the online learning experiences that uh, I've been involved with. And it's something that we just need to pay more attention to and give more, uh, give more of our intellectual energy to understanding. Mm. And can you unpack affective a little bit? So, you know, we've got emotions and interests, like what, what other things like, you know, I'm thinking like self-efficacy and you know agency and things like that like what what kinds of because i think people think equate affective with emotion so what are other things in there to look at so i, I think interest is you know an important element of that we actually have but th there's other elements too right i mean students feeling uh motivation to mm -hmm. engage in the learning enterprise is important so like you might feel interest, but you might not be, you might not have the inner drive or motivation to actually put forth the work that you know it's gonna take to, mm -hmm. you know, to learn something. Like I would love to learn, you know, I would love to learn how to sing better, you know, yeah. I'd love to learn how to play the piano, but like I haven't developed the internal motivation to really put in the effort that would be required to yeah. do that kind of thing. So I think that this is like this, I would say that this theory, this theory, this framework that mm -hmm. is developed is at the early stages. And we hope that people will develop lots of, uh, you know, um, that, that they'll delve into different dimensions of it, different parts of it and help us flesh out and understand. I don't know mm -hmm. what all the elements of, you know, emotional engagement, all the possible uh, aspects of emotional engagement are. Mm -hmm. And that would be something that would be great for someone to research and explore and flesh out. Um, but I do know that it's very important. And there's kind of this it's not only interest, but, but let me give you some, let me give you a story that will help you kind of think, think about this or a, a personal experience. Like sometimes in a class, students will engage in a hard task because they know that the teacher or someone loves them, cares mm -hmm. about them. They might not be personally interested in the task themselves. They might develop yeah. that interest later but they are willing to engage in the task because they know that someone cares about them and that that person wants them to do it, whether it's a parent or a teacher. And I think this is you know, part of what was coming through with the, you know, the, the study that I told you about with the, you know, the tutoring, right? Mm -hmm. That tutors develop a relationship with someone and then a lot of the supports that they're providing are these more affective supports, you know, encouraging people, helping them to feel hope, helping them to feel like, like they can do it, 
They have mm. the ability to do it, even though it's hard for them and that they've yep. got their back. And if they run into any problems, they'll help them. They'll support them. I mean, there's so much to unpack there. I don't, I just don't know how to, I, I haven't researched that deeply, but I know that there's a lot, there's a lot of depth there that could be researched. And so I hope mm. somebody does do it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, speaking of the future, what should we start thinking about exploring in our discussions on learner engagement that isn't fully being addressed yet? Well, I think there's a lot of things and this, you know, I mean, this, I think this framework outlines some things that we can start thinking about, like, I mean, we've already talked about the emotional or affective engagement dimension that I think is mm -hmm. understudied in our field. Um, I, I also think that there's some things around the personal community of engagement that are important to explore. So. I have a couple of students right now that are exploring in K-12 environments how parents provide cognitive, cognitive, affective, and behavioral support to their students, hmm. to their children, yeah. and understanding what kinds of things they do, where they feel there's deficits, and how they feel like they want to engage or um, collaborate with that the course-provided community. You know, so the teachers and I think. Many parents have uh, kind of experience with what that looks like in a brick and mortar school, mm -hmm. but they don't have experience or deep understanding of, you know, what does that, what does it look like for me to be able to support and help my student in this other environment? And yeah. we have some yep. interesting research that is coming out from some master students who are doing work in that area. Cool. Um, I think it would be great for people to develop diagnostic instruments mm, that will yep. help us to get a, a, an early picture of what support students need. I mean, we, we have, you know, thinking about uh, learning support, I'm doing uh, some work with a university in Columbia. And one of the things that came up, we did an institutional, uh, we created an institutional survey to look at behavioral, cognitive, and affective engagement, and then also mm -hmm. support. And one of the things that was interesting to me is that many of the students felt like, like the, the teachers didn't understand the kind of emotional uh, experiences and burdens that they were going through. They were experiencing some mm. depression or anxiety and other things. Yep. And the, the, the faculty didn't understand how that was impacting their learning experience. And so mm. I think that there's a lot of things we can do, some kind of diagnostic that would help teachers and institutions to better understand like where students are at, what areas we need to focus on. So those are a few things. The, the size and shape of the triangle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be so helpful. All the triangles, right? The yeah. personal triangle, but also the what we're doing as an institution, I mean, yep. another thing that happened at this university in Colombia, I'm actually doing some work with a university in Brazil too around this, but like, are there things in this student's personal environment that are barriers or enablers to their, um, you know, to their being able to engage, right? Mm -hmm. Because if we don't, if we're not aware of those, then we can't do things as an institution that are going to help address or overcome those, uh, you know, th those things that might be impeding engagement. So. Mm. so as we wrap up, my final question, what is one thing you want people to remember from this conversation about learner engagement? Wow, let's see. So I, I guess, <laughs> wow. If, if it's researchers that are mostly listening to this, uh, academics, what I would say is that there is a lot of research to be done in this area related mm -hmm. to online and blended learning environments. And I would just want them to feel encouraged that there's like, there's so many places where they can make important contributions and that, uh, we as a community are trying to push this forward. You know, this, this ACE framework is only one framework. I think it's a powerful and a good framework, but there are other lenses you can use to look at uh, learner engagement in, mm -hmm. 
in you know our historically in our research communities we've often talked about uh, interaction and mm -hmm. we might not use the term engagement but we're you know we talk about learner content interaction learner learner interaction learner yep. you know instructor interaction these are ways that people are talking about engagement in our um, community without you know using the term engagement but I, I just think there's so much to do in this area, I would just provide encouragement, you know, uh, um, you can do it, you know, you can make a contribution, you can make an important contribution. And I hope that my hope for you is that you do, you know, that you feel like you can and that you go forward and, and try and understand some aspect of engagement that can really benefit all of us. And I love how your, uh, you know, your final thought is, is an about affective engagement, you know, <laughs> cheering people <laughs> well, on and, and <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so Charles Graham, thank you so much for joining us for this really enlightening conversation about learner engagement. And um, again, I'll post the link to the article about the academic communities of engagement, uh, because I think it will be really beneficial for a lot of educators and a lot of researchers. So thank you. Well, thank you. It's been fun to talk with you. And I've learned from your examples and experiences too. So thank you for, you know, for uh, suggesting that we do this. Yeah, thanks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Learner Engagement Activated is produced by the Learner Engagement Division of the Association for Educational Communications and Technology. This episode was hosted by Ian Fency with sound editing and production by Ian Fency. The music is from Purple Planet. Visit the Learner Engagement Division online at www.learnerengagement.org and find out more about the Association for Educational Communications and Technology at aect.org. <laughs>